Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Now, there's been a little intro at the beginning of these episodes talking about Remnus Audio. And some of you might be thinking, what exactly is that? Well, it's a personalized gift that really will be treasured for generations. And let me tell you why. Have you ever had Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas roll around, and you just don't know what to get your parents or anyone else for that matter? Remnus Audio provides the opportunity for you to give a unique personalized gift. So maybe you're getting your siblings together and you're recording memories of your parents and what you admire about them. Or perhaps it's getting your grandparents to share their advice to their posterity. Or maybe it's a gift to yourself to document your love story, your child's birth story, or the obstacles and trials that you've been able to overcome. The thing that I enjoy most about audio is that you get lost in the story. You stop looking at how the person is dressed or what they look like, and you just focus on the words. With video recording, it's hard to forget that the camera is there staring you down, documenting your every move. But with audio, after a few minutes, you forget the microphones are there, and it's just another conversation. To show my appreciation for you listening to this podcast, I want to give you 40% off the entire order. So use the code NOTABLE40, and that code is good for multiple orders until October 1st, 2019. Also, before I forget, we have gift cards as well. So head on over to Remnus Audio, and I hope I get the opportunity to help preserve your memories. Welcome, welcome to the Notable Peeps podcast. Hello, my name's Steph, and I have Kirsten Smith with me, and she's laughing at me because I'm stumbling <laughs> over my words. Hello. <laughs> um, and Kirsten, I gave her a shout out in that last episode with Meredith, and she is someone that I reached out. We were, just, well, like we had known each other from like yeah. Utah State, but yeah. like we didn't really know each other. I reached out in a message telling her I was struggling. Mm hmm. And ever since we became great friends, because Kirsten's always down to go do something and have a f- have fun. And I was struggling too in my own way, so so it's you know, perfect. Then we were able to bond. Yep, we sure were. And Kirsten's one of those people that you have to be very direct in how you word stuff <laughs> with her to get an answer because sometimes she doesn't love to talk about herself, <laughs> which is great if you love talking about yourself. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> the reason I want to do this episode with you is because you're someone I wanted this, to have the spotlight. I feel like this is a great opportunity to have Kirsten talk a little bit about her story since usually she's the one there supporting and laughing and letting other people talk, asking questions to other people. So yeah. maybe because you're like, oh, I'm content with you guys talking or <laughs> I am usually I I am a huge um people listener and watcher. I'm fascinated by others, which is probably why I went into the field I went into. So I just love listening to others. I love hearing their stories and 
laughing at their jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> Which is a good thing because with our group of friends, I feel like there's some funny dominant personalities. There and are, so. and I love them so much. <laughs> so Kirsten and I also knew each other both at Utah State, and we lived on Darwin Avenue. We did. So Loved Darwin. Yeah, so much fun. So... Um, where should we start in your life story, Kirsten? Um, let's see. That's a good question. Um, thank you for saying I ask good questions. <laughs> you do. <laughs> My life story, and see that—that's another reason that I like I uh, am good not being in the spotlight because when people say, "Well, what about you?" I don't know. I'm just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I I love the question like. Hey, tell me your story. Like, what's your story? And sometimes I can tell the people that get uncomfortable because. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, it, like, for example, when you found out about my master's, I was talking to somebody about that and I don't tell a lot of people about it because I don't think about it. I did it. And so I don't think, I know it's a, a big accomplishment and it's something that I am really proud of. But at the same time, I don't consider it a huge accomplishment because I did it. <laughs> it's just something I did. And it's something I felt like I needed to do. So I don't know. It's just not something I think to bring up a lot. You're just very humble. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so humble. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk first about, let's go back in life. Okay. So you're the oldest in your family. I am. I'm the oldest of four kids. I have two brothers and a sister. Two of them are married. One of my brothers and my sister are married. So. And then the two single Pringles are left. Yep, we are. And good thing we get along really well. (laughs) So we support each other, but yeah. So growing up, where did you grow up? I grew up in Cottonwood Heights, Utah. And my parents bought the ha- my dad bought the house before I met my mom, and we've never moved. Um, still the same house that he bought then. Oh, and he bought it as a bachelor. He, did. he was nesting. He was okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they my parents finished the house together. The basement was unfinished, so they finished it together when they got married, and they've lived there forever. And so it was a great neighborhood to grow up in, and just love the area. So. Yeah, grew up there, and I moved away to go to school, Utah State. Loved it. And went on my mission after my bachelor's. Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is why I need to ask you specific questions. Yes, you do, because I like to brush over everything. So So, while you were at Utah State, that's where you had Bell's Palsy. Do you want to tell a little bit about (laughs) that and how it came about and what it is for people that... Yeah. So Bell's palsy is um, a paralysis of the face. So um, I'm not in the medical field, so I don't know all the technical things about it. But um, half of your face um, basically gets paralyzed and everybody has different symptoms. So my brother got it when he was in elementary school and my uncle got it as well at some point. I think he's had it twice. My uncle has. And we each had different symptoms when we all compared it after I had it as well. I was the last one to get it. My brother couldn't blink in his eye. I can't remember which side of the face he had it in, but he couldn't blink. And so my mom had to put eye drops in his eyes regularly. I couldn't taste on the right side of my tongue. It was the right side of my face that it was on. And I discovered that with eating salsa. <laughs> so that was fun. So anyway, I, it hit on a Friday afternoon. I was about to go and get and do a presentation for class. And 
it, my face, my top lip started to feel numb and fat and like it was swollen. And I panicked and was telling my roommate about it. And then it went away. And then we were talking in our front room just before I was leaving for class and we were laughing at something. Everything was great. And then we said something else and we laughed again and half of my face didn't work. And I freaked out and told my roommates my face wasn't working. And one of my roommates thought that I meant in terms of dating, I wasn't getting any dates. My face isn't working. You're like, ouch. (laughs) How rude that you would think I'd say that. Oh, wait, I would say that in jest. Anyway, um, but then she, and she was sitting on my left side so she couldn't see it but my other roommate could see it and kind of panicked with me because she could see what was happening I could just feel it so I had to go to class not knowing why half my face wasn't working and that and do a presentation I do a presentation there were three other people in my group doing this presentation so I just had to speak for a minute we had specific parts that we were supposed to do with it. And so I, I just decided I was going to be super monotone and not show any emotion, which probably gave us less points. But but at least you showed up for your group project. I did show <laughs> up. I, I stick to my word. Yeah. <laughs> so I showed up. And it was terrifying to stand up in front of... Well, I don't like the spotlight anyway, as we know. So I get nervous in front of group presentations. I've gotten a lot better over the years, but... I was nervous to do that anyway, but also not knowing what was going on was terrifying. So I just had that one class and then I didn't have anything else the rest of the of Fridays that was awesome. It was my last semester of uh, my uh, bachelor's degree. So that was great. So we, I went back uh, to my apartment and my roommates had found some guys uh, to come give me a blessing, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they found some guys to come and help with that. And then I went to Instacare and I got very frustrated at Instacare because the doctor, I had told him everything that was going on. I could feel everything. I could feel that my face wasn't reacting when I needed it to. And so he pulled a tissue out of the tissue box and rubbed it on my face and asked if I could feel that. And I got so frustrated. I told him I could feel everything. Of course I could feel that. And he said, well, you have Bell's palsy. There's nothing that we can do for you and sent me on my way. And that didn't help anything. I I had a name to it, but that was it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there were, um, over the course of the weekend, I found other people that I knew that lived on Darwin and they, knew several other people that this had happened to as well. And it was fine. It goes away. You'll be fine. Okay. But for now, half my face doesn't work. I felt like a monster. I felt like Quasimodo. So (laughs) it was scary. And then that Sunday, my face was twitching all over in weird places. And I thought it's going to come back to life. No, it got worse. My face started drooping that next Monday and it just everybody could see. I'd walk around on campus and people would literally stop and stare at me on campus. And so I just hang my head as low as possible. So hopefully my hair would cover it. And that was so fun. So I went to another doctor and he prescribed a couple different medications for me and said that it would help. And it was like a week's worth of medication and it didn't do anything. So I waited, it ended up being four months before I 
came back and it was a gradual thing. The first muscle that came back was right above my eyebrow. And if I would try and scowl, then I could see a twitch. And it was the most exciting thing to me in the whole world. I walked around and showed all my roommates and my whole family and they were just were like, great, that's so good. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was a huge challenge. Um, my roommates helped me make fun of all of it. Um, my bishop told me that it was too bad that it didn't happen to both sides of my face so that I could have the perfect poker face. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just laughed at it the whole time because what else could I do? I yeah. didn't know if it was going to stick or not. But, yeah, it didn't. So I'm normal again. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone that can't see it. <laughs> Did this experience teach you anything? Yeah, I feel like I I learned... In a way, I learned more patience, which I hate that lesson. There's nothing. Oh, patience. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I did. I learned to be a lot more patient. There are things that do take time. And sometimes that's all that there is. You, you just have to wait for some things and there's nothing else that you can do, uh, which is very frustrating. But that's all that there is, is waiting for some things and, uh, you can ask any, all the medical people in the world, and that's all that they know. Nobody knows what caused it, and they say stress, but I really could not have been less stressed. I was taking the last, like, three or four classes that I had before I could graduate, and I didn't care about them. They were the classes I had left over that I had been avoiding, and I just didn't care. I was doing fine. I just, I was sailing through life. Life was awesome. I had everything going great for me. It wasn't stress. So I really don't know what caused it, but I just had to be patient and, and I, I had to learn how to just enjoy life anyway. I didn't know if I was going to go back to normal. So. Which that's a hard thing when it's easy to criticize our appearances right. and to have something that like people noticeably stop and look at. So one of my favorite like body image quotes is by Stephanie Nelson and she mm -hmm. talks about how like she says, I am not my body and, and she's been burned on several parts of her body. And, and so I think that that's, yeah, like you just, you didn't know if it was going to go back to normal and. Right. Yeah. And it, I, I got a fairly new group of friends that semester. It was a fall semester of school. And so new school year and there were a lot of new people around and it was the last weekend of September. So things had started already, but there were still a lot of new people, a lot of new friendships. And so it was kind of weird not that I really saw it as a test for who's going to stick around, mm -hmm. but it kind of was, you yeah. know, I, because I kind of became a recluse in a way because I was so embarrassed by this and I, I didn't want a lot of people. I, I didn't like the looks that I got on campus and the judgment that I got. What's, what's wrong with this girl? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's probably people weren't meaning to like look, but people are just curious, oh, yeah. you know? Right. I, I would be yeah. if, if I had been one of them because one of my eyes wouldn't close, wouldn't squint in the sunlight. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was different. So do I don't blame them. you at that time? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have several. <laughs> I got my mission call during that time. So, <laughs> well, if you want to share one, you can. If not, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. I always prepare people for it. <laughs> it was kind of scary, but we made fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And so you got your mission call at this time? I did. So 
what was that like experience of deciding to go on a mission? That was a long process. Um, I had decided a year and a half before that that I needed to go. And it was something, it was something that had kind of been a lifelong preparation in a way. When I, when all of us were really little, we had, when my parents were helping us say our prayers at night, we would always pray that we would go on a mission, go to college and get married in the temple. And that happened. That was our routine every night that we would pray for this. And so far, every single one of us have gone to college, gone on a mission, and the two that are married have gotten married in the temple. So <laughs> prayers, prayers work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and especially children's prayers that are full of faith. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's amazing. But as I got older and I realized what going on a mission meant, I did not want to go on a mission. Mm-hmm. That was scary. Yeah. Not doing that. So. Especially since you don't like the spotlight. It's right. like going and chatting with people that don't necessarily want to be chatted with all the time. Yeah. And, and telling them something that you love so much and trying to share that with them. That's, and having that be rejected. It, no, I didn't want to do that. That terrified me. So I, I had decided I was not going to do that. And then there was a Sunday in, uh, at Utah State that I just, somebody was talking about how they had decided to go on a mission. And I just had this impression that I needed to go. And I fought it off. And for a week, <laughs> And then it just hit me really strong that I needed to go. And I was driving down to Manti. We have, my mom grew up in Manti, so we have the house that she grew up in. So we spend a lot of holidays down there and random weekends that we just all want to be together and be away from people. And so it was Easter weekend and I was driving down there and from Logan, it's a four hour drive. So I had a long time by myself to think. So when I got down there, I told my dad and he had just been waiting for me to tell him. He already knew. So uh, that was a big decision. <laughs> but then I, I tried to compromise and said, can I at least finish school first? Trying to put it off. And that only kind of worked. I mean, I, I did. I was able to finish school. That that felt okay to do that. But I still went. Um, I was kind of hoping that maybe things would change. <laughs> um, but it still felt like it was what I needed to do. And, and I, I went and I loved it. Um, I was, I served in California in Carlsbad and I loved every minute of it. Wait, wait, wait. You loved every minute of it? <laughs> now. <laughs> As a fellow missionary, I'm like. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Thank you for catching that. No, in the moment, I did not. It was very challenging. It was very hard. I had a lot of moments of tears. I will always learn from it. I feel like I learn something from it every day. I pull Mm -hmm. something from my mission every day. Yeah. Especially with my job. But I do pull something from it every single day. And I love that. I love that aspect. And so, yes, I loved my mission. And I loved the people that I interacted with. And I would never take any of it back. I would never change what I did with mm-hmm. it. And so I'm very grateful that I did decide to serve. And yes, I loved it. You have your mission papers and you have Bill Palsy and mm-hmm. you are going out talking to all these strangers, which is out of your comfort zone and half your face is paralyzed. Yeah. Um. 
So <laughs> what were your thoughts going on the mission? Well, you know, it was interesting because I never, I never questioned it. I, I just knew I needed to go and, and I could still talk. It looked weird, <laughs> but I could talk. <laughs> and so I never questioned going. I felt like my face was starting to come back. But granted, I looked in the mirror as little as possible because it scared me. Mm -hmm. My face did gradually start to come back a little by little. But the first picture that I have that I really could tell that my face was back to normal was the day that I walked into the MTC. And the pictures that my family has, because it was back in the day when they had you walk into the room and watch the video and say, rip the Band-Aid off and just say bye and mm -hmm. go into separate rooms. So they... My dad was taking a ton of pictures before we all separated and everything, and I, they were putting my name tag on. And those are the first pictures that I have that I could tell that my face was back to normal. And so I was, I was fine. I didn't have any Bell's palsy, anything, my whole mission. So I feel like that was like a step of your faith of like, okay, I'm still doing this, you mm -hmm. know, because like you said, you didn't know how long right. that you would have it for. But then what a cool blessing that the first day of the MTC, that's the first picture you see yeah. that your face is normal. Yeah, it was cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how grad school came into play when you were on your mission? Yeah, I think the first the first thought that I really had of it was before I went on my mission, I just had a random thought that I should I should do grad school. And I was like, nah, nah, no, I don't want to do that. And I brushed it aside and, and I was going on a mission. So I really brushed it aside. But then I was about I think I was three months. It was three months before I was done with my mission. And I just had this thought that I needed to do grad school. And being on a mission, you don't push, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but I, I wasn't pushing those thoughts aside as quickly. I was listening a little better. <laughs> so I got the thought and I just sat there and thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, okay, no, I, I really do. I don't want to go back to school, but I feel like I need to for whatever reason. So let's just do it as soon as I get back. I don't have any other plan set in place. So that's let's do it now. So I sent my dad an email and told him that I felt like I needed to do grad school and get my master's degree. And he had been waiting for me to tell him that too. So he immediately reached out to uh, people at Utah State that I had been working with before. And I told him that that's where I wanted to apply. I loved the people I'd been working with and I just really wanted to stay working with them. And we didn't talk about what was, what did you graduate with your undergrad? Oh, I graduated in human development. I focused in child development and my whole plan was to teach preschool. So I just, I love working with the four and five year olds is my um, prime age that I like to work with. So I, I focused in child development and loved that. So I thought that I would just continue with that and could then open my own preschool with a master's. So that was my plan that I had come up with. So being at Utah State was prime for that. They have a, an excellent program for that. And I loved the people already. I'd been working with them um, with my bachelor's degree, and it would be the same people with my master's. So I thought that would just be perfect. So I told my dad who to reach out to to find out what I needed to do to apply for the program. 
And so he started doing that immediately. And he would, when he would get the paperwork that I needed to fill out, he would fax it to the mission office. And one of the senior couples lived in the same apartment complex as us. And so at night they would bring it to my apartment and I would fill it out, give it back to them. And then they would fax it back to my dad and then he would send it in. So he was key in me getting into grad school. Um, three weeks after I got home, I moved back up to Logan and started my program. Oh, so it was, yeah. If you wouldn't have had that time on your mission yeah. with your dad doing that, then. Yeah. So I knew I was in before I was mostly accepted. I still needed to do, I could do either the GRE or the MAT and I needed to do that before I was fully matriculated, but that was it that I needed to do. Other than that, I had been accepted. So yeah, it was, so I was able to start classes as soon as I got back. So it was a whirlwind. And then what did you do your thesis on for your master's? My thesis, the official title was Parents' Perceptions and Practices for Kindergarten Readiness. So I did a study on comparing what parents um, what they thought they should be doing to get their kids ready for kindergarten and what they were actually doing to get them ready for kindergarten. So like, what did you find? They knew what they should be doing and they weren't doing it. Oh, parents. <laughs> yeah. And it depended on how many kids they had that were older than the one that they were doing, answering the questionnaire for. If they had kids older, then they did less. And if it was a first child, then they typically did more and yeah, go to. us first children. Right. Get in. Yeah, we're ready to go. <laughs> and so yeah, it was it was interesting. It was a lot of work. I used a study or a questionnaire that had already been made, but I had to tweak it for my particular study so that it was more applicable to it. So it was a lot of work to do that, but it was interesting. I just can't do stats. So that was a problem just for me personally. So I couldn't do more than that. I could never get a PhD. Basically. <laughs> so then you're done with your master's program. Mm -hmm. What was the next phase of life? Once I finished that, I moved back down here to find a job. Um, Logan at the time, it's growing now, but it just wasn't great to find a job. So I moved back down here and it took me a year to find a job. Uh, so that was rough because I thought I would find one pretty quick. You know how they are in school. Mm -hmm. Do this and you'll find a job. You'll have so many doors open to you. Yeah, no. Let's talk a little bit more about that because you've spent all this time doing this education. And it seems like in your life up to this point, you graduated, you went on a mission, you came back, you did your master's. So it's like yeah. everything was planned out. And so for the first time in your life, you didn't have a plan. Yeah, that was the first time in my life. And that was rough. I am a planner more often than not. So that was a huge challenge. I didn't know what to do with myself. For the first couple months, it was fine because it was summer. And I was very used to having summers off and just going and playing. And so that part was fine. But then we got closer to the fall. And my sister was getting ready to go on her mission. And I was going to be very lost without her because she had been my buddy through all of this. And so I was very lost. I didn't have a job. I was applying everywhere. And if I got an interview, I was lucky. Uh, it turns out that preschools 
don't like master's degrees. Oh, really? <laughs> Not here. <laughs> they don't want to pay for that. They, uh, they want a high school diploma. I was very overqualified. Um, so, and that's what I wanted to start with was teaching. I didn't want to open a preschool yet. That's a down the road thing. So I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to get more experience under my belt. I had been teaching at Utah State, but that's the ideal. The preschool is there and I loved teaching there so much. It was, I, I peaked early. I had my dream job early, <laughs> but they, I wanted to experience other preschools so that I would know better how to set up my own so I could pull from all these different places more, you know, what, how to form my own and just make it mine. So anyway, it took me about, it, it took me a year and then I found a job with Head Start. So, and I was there for five years when I finally got that job. So, and what did you time. do at Head Start? I started with a class of three to five-year-olds. It was a full-day class. So, so your age range that you liked? Yes. Yeah. And I was really excited for that. And and so typically how they have it set up is that they have morning a morning class and an afternoon class. So that it's only part day. And that's pretty normal for preschool. The class that they had me in, it was a full-day class. So they had the three to five-year-olds, same group, there from 7.30 until I think it was 3.30. And there was a two hour, two or three hour nap time. And it was, so it was more like daycare. And that is not the route that I had ever wanted to go was daycare. I like the setup of preschool better. It's more school rather than babysitting. So it was a challenge for me. And it turned out that behind the scenes, what I didn't know what was going on is that the early Head Start side, which is the infant's had been trying to get me over to their side because I had experience with infancy from Utah State. So they finally were able to get me into one of their positions. I didn't have a lot of say, but I was struggling with the classroom that they had placed me in. And we don't have it. The teachers don't have a say in where they go. You just do what they say. Mm -hmm. So I was happy to go to that other classroom and that's where I spent the majority of my time. So I ended up in early Head Start with a class of eight children that ranged in age from six weeks to three years. And I had a co-teacher and she ended up becoming one of my best friends, which was very, it was great. So we're stuck in a classroom for eight hours a day together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was wonderful. Um, it was a saving grace. So that I loved it. With with her and with the kids, I, I loved that aspect of it. There were other things that were very challenging and very draining that and had me leave all of it behind eventually. But I I loved the kids and I loved my co-teacher. So. Well, and I didn't realize that's sort of the difference between daycare and preschool is like mm-hmm. one's like, I mean, it's in the name school, but... <laughs> But when you talk yeah, about like, but you don't really think your about classroom, it. I'm like, they're infants. How is that a classroom? But yeah, and and that was a challenge too, especially with that age range. They're so, I mean, they're so different. A six week old from a three year old, so different. And you have them in the same classroom, and you have to f- come up with a lesson plan for them. Oh, for really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a challenge, but yeah, we, I mean, we did it. We had to do it. So. There was one point where we had four kids under a year and we had four kids that were two. 
So there's nothing in between. <laughs> so yeah, that was a juggling act for sure. So do you still want to have your own preschool one day? I hope I do. When I think back on teaching at Utah State, when I, w- I got to teach in their lab school while I was working on my master's, and I loved it there. So when I think back on that and working with the kids and the other teachers, I loved it. And so I, I hope I, I want to open a preschool, but right now teaching is not happening. I'm, I'm working somewhere else. So, and I love what I'm doing right now. It's completely different and I love it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And what are you doing right now? I, I work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I love how I ask these questions like, I hey, don't know. That's the hard thing in interviewing friends. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? Because like, <laughs> really when we're everyone with a group of people like, you work for, for the church? What do you do? And then you say the mission department. Everyone has so many questions. And they so I've do. heard that like, it's it. always so interesting hearing you chat about everything. But mm-hmm. yeah. So you're in the missionary department and I you am. have the opportunity, for those of you that aren't familiar, when someone wants to go on a mission, it's a long process of paperwork. And part of that paperwork is filling out sort of a mental... It Yeah, so they, they all have paperwork that they need to fill out and it covers like all of their background. Basically, it's a little bit of everything. Um, just so that we know who they are really. And so when they fill that out, then it comes to the church and it's so that the church leaders, for those who aren't familiar with the church, when the church leaders can then review it, then they're the ones who assign the missionaries. And so, but with how many we have, the church leaders can't all, they, they don't have the time to sit there and read through everything. And so I'm one of the people there to help do that, to help review some of the information and make sure that that then gets to the church leaders before they assign them. So every day you have something different. Someone's, Mm -hmm. it's a different story. It's a different Mm -hmm. struggles that they have. And so. Yeah. Yeah. And we're there as a support for uh, local church leaders when they have questions um, with any of their missionaries before the part that I work on before they um, go on their mission. And so I, we do a lot of that helping them out when they call in. So yeah, it's, it's a fun, interesting job that changes every day. Kirsten, my classic question for this podcast mm-hmm. of have you ever had an impossible goal and mm-hmm. how did you work through it? You know, I'd probably have to say that my master's was an, my impossible. I, for, yeah, 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 it probably is. That it wasn't something that I had as the goal that I necessarily thought I wanted. But while I was in it, I definitely had those times where I thought, why am I doing this? This is so hard. I, I would just want to stop. And I never did. I, I kept going and, and made it through. Even with that stat, so just. Yeah, yeah. And my, my brother even asked me what is in that whole chapter. And I can't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> but I did it. I had help. And Wait, I'm so oh, grateful. There's a stats chapter in your thesis? Yeah, yeah. Cause it's like okay. a, a research journal oh. is how it's written out. So yeah, there's a whole 
stats chapter. <laughs> well, my, my whole thesis is 88 pages. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know what's in a lot of it. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like that's sometimes in life where you you look back and you're like, mm, I definitely was receiving help. I think about that with podcasting all the time. I am not technologically savvy at all. And I'm like, there's no way I figure this out by myself. Like, Heavenly Father's been helping me. Because, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did not do that by myself. Um, Heavenly Father was definitely helping me. And there were, I had a really good team of people at Utah State helping me too. So I, yeah, I made it through. And I had a lot of support from my family too. I had great cheerleaders. I made it. I did it. I still, I'll pull the my book out every once in a while and look at it and just be in awe that I did it. I, It's still amazing to me when I really stop and think about it. It's like when you're having a bad day and you pull it out and you're like, yeah, yeah I accomplished that. Yeah. If somebody talks down to me like I'm dumb, then I just think about that. No, I'm not. <laughs> I accomplished something. <laughs> One of your things that you love to do is travel. Yes, I Have do. Have there been any locations that you've been to that afterwards you're like, oh, that feels like an accomplishment. Like, Yeah. Uh, Denmark was one of those. When a, a lot of my family history is from Denmark. And so when I was little and I, you know, was all gung-ho about going on a mission, that's what I tell people that I'm going to go on a mission to Denmark. And people would always say, well, what if, what if Heavenly Father doesn't call you to Denmark? Well, he will. That's where I'm going to go. And I was just so, I was so set on that. And then I didn't go to Denmark. <laughs> so you didn't leave the States. No, I didn't. I didn't even leave the West. <laughs> I went to California, which I loved. Yeah. I loved. Anyway. Every single minute. <laughs> now. <laughs> I just have to tease you about I, that. I know. Forever. It's fine. I, I'm fine with that. So I had an opportunity four years ago now to go to Denmark as part of a trip that I was doing with some friends. And I, I had always dreamed of going to Denmark. I'd always loved it. When we did our world reports in sixth grade, I did Denmark and I researched everything about Denmark. And all I wanted to do was get to see the little mermaid statue. And Oh, I didn't know there's a little mermaid statue. Yeah. Oh. The original author of the story is Danish. Oh. So yeah, they have a little mermaid statue in Copenhagen. And I yeah, I've just I've always wanted to go to Denmark. And so I got the opportunity and I just it was so amazing to be there. I loved it. It, I got my picture next to the Little Mermaid statue and, you know, I had to fight off some other tourists. That was fun. But the reality of of touring places. Yeah, it was wonderful. The food was great. I only got to be there for a couple of days. So now I just need to go back. Mm -hmm. But that was something that was a place that I always dreamed of and never thought I'd actually get to. So I've been, and it was in my first international trip too. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Kirsten, thanks for, even though you don't love being asked questions like what's your life story <laughs> and everything, coming and be on this podcast and talking about yourself. 
Thanks for having me. It really hasn't been that bad. So I've enjoyed it. And I'm sure that people that are listening that know you probably have learned one new fact about you today. <laughs> probably. Which, except for my family. Except for your family. <laughs> I hope. I hope they know all of this about me. They were all involved in this, in everything that I've talked about. So, But which is a good thing because I feel like... I, it's just that reminder that even if we're spending a ton of time with people or whatever, we we just don't know everything because sometimes people aren't as big of an open book. That's true. You just have to ask the right question. Yeah. You, if you ask, I will tell. So, <laughs> so that's right for anyone. Get your questions ready for Kirsten. Yes. Find out her deepest, darkest secrets, yeah. most embarrassing moments, all that. And you'll be able to tell by how I get all shifty in my seat. <laughs> And your face getting red a little bit. Yeah, or a lot of it. That's fine. <laughs> so if you want to be friends with Kirsten, shoot her an email. What's your email? My email is Kirsten Smith. It's K-I-R-S-T-E-N Smith2 at MSN.com. And remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. If you're loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories.